We've talked about the cleansing nature of the baptism with the Spirit. You personally may focus on more the need for a clean heart, or maybe you focus on the need for power. Dear listener, the baptism of the Holy Ghost both cleanses the heart and empowers us for the service of God and the upbuilding of his kingdom. You cannot have true power without purity, and you cannot have true purity without power. There are some crazy ideas about the power of God in the modern-day church. The Bible, however, is the most sane book we have, and the godly in that book were sane individuals. Does your power look like the biblical account, or is your power a counterfeit of the devil? Good morning, and welcome to God's Resistance. God's resistance is local and in the Wyoming Valley, spreading elsewhere. If you need someone to talk to or pray with and are interested in joining a small group to help you live as a disciple of Christ, then stay tuned for contact info. My name is Eric Samborski, and I want to thank you for tuning into God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. If you miss the radio program, then look for the God's Resistance podcast on your favorite podcast platform and YouTube at 9 a.m. every Sunday where these are uploaded and you'll find other content on there as well. You can check us out uh, at godsresistance.com and on Facebook, Gab, Gab TV, and YouTube at God's Resistance, spelled G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. Make sure if you fo- if you go to any of those social media places to like, follow, turn on uh, notifications for helpful spiritual content, uh, like pages so that you can just be updated and interact. Leave a comment there. If you disagree, uh, write something there. We can talk about it. If you agree, write something there. Either way, we're trying to just go into the word of God. We're trying to be better disciples ourselves, and it's going to help everyone all around as you interact. So um, right now we are meeting inside of homes. We were meeting, uh, having street meetings every Sunday morning out in the public square, but for these cold months, we are meeting in homes. If that's something that interests you and you want to be a part of one of those small group meetings, uh, and it's not just small groups with Bible studies necessarily either. Uh, there, there is preaching, there is singing, there is worship. If, you, if that's something that interests you, then please contact me. And you can contact us at God's Resistance, God's dot Resistance at gmail.com or give us a call at 570-362-7782. That number also receives text messages. Let's listen in on today's briefing. So picking up on our series with holiness, the last time we did holiness as Christian perfection, which by the way, people get very afraid of that word perfection as it relates to the Christian walk. And I think a lot of times they get afraid of that because they have a doctrinal framework or system that puts everything into a box. Um, But when we look into the scriptures, instead of trying to take our experience and drag it down here, uh, excuse me, drag down God's word to our experience, we should do it the other way around. We should look at God's word and then say, Lord, my life doesn't line up with the uh, what the Bible declares. My experience isn't quite what I see inside of this book. Now, it may look impossible to me, but it's not impossible to you because you have all power and grace and you can do that for a soul that wants you wholeheartedly. So rather than dispense with certain parts of the scripture, we may have to wrestle with that, myself included. May God help us to wrestle with the scriptures. We are looking this morning 
Uh, last time it was Christian perfection and saying Christian perfection. If you've got questions about that, go back, uh, find us on our podcast platforms, YouTube, Gab TV. Go back and listen to that so that you do not have a caricature of what I would say or mean by saying Christian perfection. Uh, because some people mean things that I don't think the Bible means whatsoever. Uh, go back, listen to that um, before you come into this. Um, but to not, to, excuse me, this morning, we are looking into holiness as a divine endowment, an endowment of power. And that is uh, some synonymous in the scripture. Um, holiness is talking about purity. But when we talk about the baptism of the spirit, it's not just power, as a lot of people would try and seek after power and they've gone into excess. They brought shame on the name of God and in the name of Christ. It is sane biblical power. It is Jesus Christ taking up residence in the heart without a rival, and because of that, can use us as channels without us hindering and being in the way. So we are looking at holiness as an endowment of power here this morning. Let's start right off here. Sanctification and power are synonymous, as I've alluded to. Some people teach that there is an empowerment for service by the Holy Spirit but they deny the possibility of any heart cleansing whatsoever. There's many writers like that. Um, and I don't want to give a, a, a wrong picture necessarily, but this is from my understanding of what I've read. Um, so it appears to be there are those, say like R.A. Torrey, D.L. Moody. Uh, they had an experience where God baptized them with the spirit, but they denied a cleansing aspect. Um, then I'm trying to think, there's so many different other ones that we could uh, mention. Those are some of the mainstream ones. So there are people that would say, and they probably lean more on a Keswick uh, understanding, which would generally be more uh, ones that line more align more closely to a Calvinistic or I don't know what you want to call it. Not a, there, there'd be the five point Calvinism, and then there would be others that maybe don't agree on certain points but hold to certain tenets. I, I don't know where you'd park those in the camp, but they would lean more towards a Calvinistic direction. Uh, you would find a lot of those people underneath the Keswick banner. Uh, Andrew Murray would be another one. He was a Dutch reform down in South Africa. So they would they would say something of the empowerment, but deny the possibility of an, uh, of a heart cleansing. Some teach that the disciples were only regenerated at Pentecost. That was when they were saved and that there's no such thing as a second work of grace. By the way, even if I, in some of the videos or, or things you may have listened to that I've brought up, um, radio programs, I want you to understand that when saying a second work of grace, uh, I have oftentimes had conversations with people where they said, well, Christ purchased everything for us on the cross. Now you're telling us there's some special thing he's done. I don't agree with that uh, sentiment or with that analysis. What I would say is that Jesus Christ purchased one salvation on the cross. And you and I, when we first are saved, we're not thinking about the fountain from where all this sin came. We're thinking about the things that we've done and the weight of guilt that is laid upon us because of it. And we are now under the wrath of God. And so we are trying to receive forgiveness or pardon for the things of which we've done. However, after we start walking with God, we start to realize God's zeroing in on our hearts and showing us what who we are, not what we've done and who we are corrupted and messed up and that how he wants to cleanse the heart, how he wants to change even that. Some people would refer to that as the sanctifying process. And I do believe 
that there is a sanctifying process, but I also do believe that there is a moment where God sanctifies and cleanses from our heart a, a, a point in time which we can say, God has done this for me, where he's not made us absolutely perfect, but what he has in fact done is at that point, he has cleansed out the carnal aspect of our being, the moral part of it. We're not talking about an absolute perfection. We're talking about the things that are corrupted, that twist the normal faculties of our being, our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength towards ends that God never intended it to. He cleanses that out of the heart. Some people will say, well, you're saying then you sinless perfection. I believe you can live a life of victory over sin, but never get to a state where now I've arrived. We have to be watchful. We have to abide in him. We have to take hold of the means of grace, but we can walk a life that is victorious. We can walk a life where the motives of the heart have been cleansed. And it's not this dual service toward God, the double-minded way. It is a way that is pure, holy, and clean. So when I say second work of grace, it's more us as individuals that it, it, God could do it all in one shot, but oftentimes it's our light, uh, it's our perception that doesn't allow us to get much farther. Some teach the baptism with the Holy Spirit as a third work of grace following the experience of sanctification. So you get an experience of cleansing, then you get a third work of grace where you are empowered. I do not find that in the scripture. Most who teach this theory make it mandatory that one needs to be speaking in tongues, um, some kind of heavenly language or, or, or what appears to be mostly a gibberish as a proof of receiving this baptism of the spirit. I do not find that the scripture speaks of those ways. When the scripture is speaking about tongues, it seems to me very apparent that it is a discernible language somewhere on the face of this earth, not just some craze, um, you know, gibberish that's all around. And oftentimes we can work ourselves up into such an emotionalism and call that the power of God, but there's no purity or cleanness. So I would submit, we should go back and check what we receive because we don't have, if we have the Holy Spirit, he's holy, isn't he? And if he's holy and he's dwelling inside of our heart, what manner of persons should we be? We should be holy people. And if we've got some uh, experience of power and we're lacking holiness, we don't have what God has purchased for us through Jesus Christ on the cross. So again, we're asking the question, what does the Bible teach though? Uh, people teach a lot of things, but what does the Bible teach? So let's go to the Bible. The Bible uses several different terms in describing the baptism with the Spirit. Different terms do not indicate different experiences, only different aspects of that one experience. So let's get that clear in our biblical understanding, study, hermeneutics. To make sure we're not confusing the terms, we're only going to look at those terms that are used to describe the experience received by the disciples at Pentecost. That way we don't have to go off in the brush somewhere. So let's start with terms used in promising or foretelling the experience of, of Pentecost. Uh, here's a term or phrase, pour out the spirit. We look in Joel chapter 2, 28 and 29, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions and also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. Well, we look in Acts chapter two and they tell us that what happened on the day of Pentecost is what Joel prophesied of, which gives us the authority to say that's what it's speaking about. So we read in Acts 2, 16 and 17, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. So here we find Pentecost as a fulfillment of that prophecy there in Joel. 
the pouring out of the Spirit is referring to the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the endowment of power, the uh, cleansing of the heart. Then we, re- we hear the term or read the term baptize with the Holy Ghost. Matthew 3.11, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. That's Matthew 3.11. Uh, Mark 1 8, I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Christ will do this. Luke 3 16, John answered, saying unto them uh, all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. John 1 and I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And then Acts 1.5, For John, that is John the Baptist, truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence, says the Lord Jesus. So we find that as a phrase used to describe it. Receive the Spirit also is described, or is a phrase used to describe that. Not every time that the Spirit is received is it that way, but it is used. So let's look in John 7, verses 37 through 39. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So receiving the Spirit here is speaking of that baptism of the Spirit. I do want to say, uh, for any that are listening, I personally would not consider myself a uh, Pentecostal. Um, I would more, uh, what I would do is align myself with traditional Methodism around the time of Wesley, and then a little bit of American Methodism before things became dead and formal. Uh, I would align more with what they taught and what what they spoke uh, in those ways, and then probably uh, the American holiness movement. And I can't, that's a broad blanket, but I'm helping you to understand that so that maybe that'll uh, give you a little bit of a of a, a rudder to steer you through what I'm saying. Um, then we read another phrase, endued with power. So Luke 24, 49. And behold, I send the promise of my father, Jesus said, upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. And that was the day of Pentecost. Uh, the giving of the comforter, John 14, 16. And I will pray the father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. He refers to the comforter as the a promise of the father too. So that's why uh, there's scriptural authority to equate these things. Then the coming of the comforter, John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Uh, and then another place in John 16, 13, how be it when he, the spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear that shall he speak. And he, uh, excuse me, he will shew you things to come. Then we read about the coming of the Holy Ghost. Acts 1, 8, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So these are all terms synonymous with that Pentecostal experience uh, that we read about there.
so just to be clear again, uh, the last little chunk that we went through was terms used in promising or foretelling the experience of Pentecost. Now we're looking at terms used in describing the event at Pentecost in Acts 2. Filled with the Holy Ghost, we read in Acts 2, 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues or languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. That, excuse me, then we read, shed forth the Holy Ghost in Acts 2, 33. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. And then we read about uh, on the day of Pentecost, the gift of the Holy Ghost. Acts 2.38, Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So that is the description of the Pentecostal experience. There are also terms used by Peter uh, in testimony concerning the day of Pentecost when he compared it with the event at Cornelius' house and stated that it was the same experience. So Acts 10.47, receive the Holy Ghost. Um, We read, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? Then we read in Acts 11.15 about the Holy Ghost when the Holy Ghost fell. Peter's recounting, and as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. Then we read about the baptism or baptizing with the Holy Ghost. Uh, Then the 16th verse of the same chapter of, of Acts 11. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water and John's baptism was the baptism of repentance, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Um, So there it is, Peter speaking of that. Then Acts 15, 8 clears things up even more uh, where it's talking about giving them the Holy Ghost. Peter is recounting at the Jerusalem council what had taken place uh, at Cornelius' house. He says, and God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. Now, a lot of times people say where they were just saved at that point. The problem with that is... uh, we have a blending of the old and new covenants happening while Jesus is walking the earth. So everything is not so easily cut and dry. However, ask yourself this question. Were the disciples saved before the day of Pentecost? Were they, were they saved, uh, or excuse me, were they unsaved going around and preaching the gospel? Um, I can't remember which one of the previous programs I had dealt with this more in depth, um, but you should go back and it, talking about Um, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the violent take it by force from the days of John the Baptist until that time when Jesus was speaking, which helps us to to realize people were saved while Jesus was yet on earth. Uh, And I can't deal with that in a huge way right now. So I go back, maybe I can try and put something in notes later. Uh, The Bible identifies entire sanctification with the experience received at Pentecost. So both sanctification and the baptism of the Spirit produce cleansing. Therefore, they must be identical. Holiness identified with cleansing, 1 Corinthians 7.1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God, 2 Corinthians 7.1. Holiness identified with freedom from sin. So Romans 6.22, but now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and to everlasting life. The baptism of the Spirit purifies, Acts 15, 9. Peter said, and God put no difference between us and them, Cornelius' household, purifying their hearts by faith. 
I just want to park that for a second. What does it mean? What does the word pure mean? Pure means without alloy, without a mixture of something impure. In any other facet of life, if we were going to put money down to obtain pure gold, pure diamond, pure whatever, we would expect that what they're giving to us is pure, not tainted. Why do we put a different frame of reference and lens on things when we are looking at the scripture? We somehow change the definition of words here when common sense tells us pure means pure. He said that their hearts were purified by faith and that was when they were baptized with the Holy Ghost. Uh, Luke 3, 16 through 17 tells us about the baptism of the Spirit burning out sin. When John the Baptist answers, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to unloose, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and will gather the wheat into his garner, but the chaff he will burn with fire unquenchable. So the baptism of the Spirit burns out sin, according to these verses. Then we read about the receiving of the Holy Spirit uh, is described as the power that's producing holiness. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 through 8. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is what brought upon holiness or cleansing, according to this verse. Uh, Jesus expressed the need of the apostles as sanctification and also as the baptism with the Spirit. So Jesus prayed that they might be sanctified in John 17, 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Uh, I want to say it's the first one in this series about be ye holy where we deal with definitions of terms. That is helpful here to understand when Jesus says sanctify them or sanctify them through thy tr truth. The word sanctify here is not setting apart. Um, though that is, God does set us apart. When, when, when we, we're supposed to be doing the setting apart. There is commands that God gives to us where he says, separate yourselves from this, you know, set yourselves for holy use. The priests were told to sanctify themselves before God came. And so they had to wash their clothes, change their garments. They had to set everything in order. That was what they had to do. But the sanctifying that God does is making holy. So Jesus is saying, sanctify the disciples, God, as he's praying the high priestly prayer, through thy truth, your word is truth. So God or Christ is speaking about the, the, the apostles' needs or the disciples' needs as a sanctifying need. And that is also the baptism of the spirit because he's speaking to them about the promise of the father and things that should come after he rises, after he's arisen from the dead. In conversation with the apostles, Jesus expressed their need as the coming of the comforter or as the baptism with the spirit. Since the need is expressed in both ways for the same people at the same time, then logic says the two terms must relate to the same experience. So John uh, 14, 16 through 17. And I pray the father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Then Luke 24, 49, and behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, 
but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. So the same instructions are, are given to the same people. And so we can pull these together and help to form the picture of what is being said is what the experience they received in the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter one, verse five, for John, truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. So he's talking about what's going on there on the day of Pentecost and the fulfillment of what John's saying. He's saying that what John was speaking of was the baptism of the Spirit that took place in the day of Pentecost. Uh, Acts 1.8, but ye shall receive power. How? After that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. Remember, come upon you is speaking about the day of Pentecost, something distinctly different um, from just uh, repentance of sin. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So in later lessons, it'll be shown that sanctification is for persons that are already born again. And it'll also be shown that the baptism of the spirit is for persons already born again. Thus, again, the two experiences must be the same since they are received under the same kind of conditions. That is, uh, the experience of entire sanctification or the baptism of the Spirit are one and the same. Uh, when other events are described or promises given with the same terminology as that used to tell about Pentecost, we conclude that the same experience is being described and that it is the experience of entire sanctification. Some of the outstanding occasions when this occurs are listed as follows. Luke eleven thirteen, speaking about the promise of the Holy Spirit. If ye then, <clears throat> being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? This is the promise of the Spirit. This symbolic passing on uh, was not fulfilled until the day of Pentecost, where we, re we read, I'm going to refer to that here in John 20, 22. He says, and when Jesus said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, receive ye the Holy Ghost. So that was a symbol, a foreshadowing of what was to come on the day of Pentecost, the baptism of the Spirit. Uh, the character of men who received the Holy Spirit is something of note. Acts 6, 3. Wherefore, brethren, Look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. So something uh, about these men is distinctly different from the general Christian population because they're picking these type of men out of it. Then we look in Acts 6, 5. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of, of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. So these men were eminent, uh, eminent above all the rest because they were filled with the Holy Ghost and faith and wisdom and, and their, their character traits. So there was something different about these men. They didn't receive all this at the time of salvation because there were others that didn't have what these men had, which were qualifications. The command to maintain the spirit-filled life 
E, Ephesians 5.18 tells us, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled or continually filled, as the Greek tense would bring out, with the Spirit. So there is a time when we enter in, but there's a time where we must maintain. The experience then of the Samaritans, we read in Acts uh, 8.15 and 17, uh, who then were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost, then laid they, the apostles, their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. The experience of Paul, we read in Acts 9, 17, Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And then the experience of the Ephesians, we read Acts 19, two through six. He said unto them, have ye received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, we've not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, unto what then were ye baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him, which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus and when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them and they spake with tongues or languages and prophesied or preached. May God help us to understand uh, what is here in his word and apply it properly to our soul. I know that's a lot, dear listener, but listen to it over and over again. If you've just done this uh, by way of radio program, Go to godsresistance.com, find where it links to podcasts, listen to this over again, go through these scriptures yourself, and uh, tell your friends about our social media accounts. You, you know, make sure you like, follow, all that kind of thing. Tell them about this radio program, tell them about our website and podcast so they can hook up to all that. But above all, join the resistance, God's resistance. Thank you to Spectacular Sound Productions for giving permission to the use of the song Heroes and Monsters, which was edited and used in part on this production. The permission was granted under Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International Creative Commons license. That license may be found at https colon forward slash forward slash creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by hyphen essay forward slash 4.0 forward slash legal code.